Welcome to Prime Alpha's interview series, insights from industry practitioners discussing their journey and their discoveries. I would like to introduce Ernest Jafarian. In 1991, Ernest became convinced that every well-diversified portfolio should have exposure to managed futures. This conviction eventually led to his founding Efficient Capital Management in 1999, where he remains the CEO and co-CIO. Known as an innovator in the space, managed futures remains Ernest's focus and passion. Welcome, Ernest. Thank you very much. Let's just jump in. Ernest, tell me about your career journey. Uh, Yeah, so I'll just start at the futures portion of my life. There's a whole life before that. But in 1986, I was offered an opportunity to join CRT, which was then the world's leading market maker in listed options. And on a cold January morning, I flew from Eugene, Oregon to Chicago, went straight to the floor and in a very short amount of time became the lead market maker in treasury bond options. Uh, So that floor experience was a a great experience and I enjoyed it. The firm decided it wanted to do over-the-counter treasury options and asked if I might leave the floor and commute to New York, helping the New York primary dealer start to build a over-the-counter treasury options business. So I did that for 18 months. Uh, The salient point of that is that The primary profit center for the primary dealer was their proprietary trading desk. And I got to know the traders really well. I got to know the structure of the desk really well. It was very effective, broadly diversified, and truly the profit center of the firm. So when I came back full-time in Chicago, they weren't ready for me to take a new position because they were being sold to Nations Bank. So they said, find something meaningful to do. And I said, like what? And they said, well, you could go back to the floor, you could trade upstairs, you could do a research project. So I cast about, and and one of the partners suggested that I just trade a proprietary account because the trading ideas that we used in New York had been pretty effective. And I thought, hmm, those trading ideas really came from the trading desk, not from me. And I don't think I want to live in front of a computer screen. But there are really talented traders out there. So I came up with this idea of having a virtual proprietary trading desk. So instead of hiring people and bringing them into the company, which was problematic on a lot of levels, you had to pay them to come. And if they were successful, they thought they should trade bigger. And if they weren't successful, you had to pay them to go away. I just thought, let's just hire professional traders and give them trading line authorization, and we can keep the portfolio balanced. And I wanted to do it in futures because we had all memberships on all the exchanges. And futures at the end of the day, being a non-directional market, had no bias and was all traded on margin. So it was very cost effective. Hence, by the way, the name efficient capital, the cash efficiency of the futures markets. So I began doing research in 1990 and in 91. And that's when I fell in love with the managed futures business. And I bought into the research that basically said every well-diversified portfolio should have exposure to this asset. But if you think back to 1991, that was just friends and family money in the business at that point. But I thought, I can run a virtual proprietary trading desk identifying what I believe are the world's top trading managers and finding, maximizing the diversification and so on. And so that's what I pitched to CRT. Unfortunately, just as the merger with Nations Bank was happening, 
And they said, we'll get to that, but we want you to do something else, maybe currencies or energy first. And I said, mm, I think I'll do managed futures. So we parted on very good terms in 93. I formed a CTA with another person, but kept developing this idea of a multi-trading advisor virtual portfolio. And then ultimately, I was offered an opportunity at Hull Trading Company in 1997 to implement that as a proprietary trading group inside of Hull Trading Company. And in 1990, the end of 98, when Hull decided to do an IPO, uh, they helped me come out and establish Efficient Capital as a separate entity. Hull then, in early 99, sold 100% to Goldman Sachs. And efficient capital became 100% independent. The short version is that all of the early principles, active risk management, using mathematical principles, using teamwork, and so on, all of which was true in trading the options markets, carried into this portfolio construction. And frankly, that's our story today. We still run, from our perspective, actively managed virtual proprietary trading portfolios and we do it all in the managed future space. Yeah, it's kind of thinking about like, this is what we do really well, and there's still a need for it. So why would you change? Yeah, a way I say the same thing is, look, if you want a, a heart surgeon and somebody says, I'm a surgeon, you're not interested. If they say, I'm a heart surgeon, oh, really, tell me, what else do you do? Just heart surgery. We made a decision early on, we were going to be just heart surgeons. So 100% of our focus and energy has remained focused on the managed future space. Can you explain how you help your clients? Like, How should people be thinking about this in their portfolio and how you help them? Well, the managed future story really hasn't changed since John Lindner wrote his landmark article so many years ago. The bottom line is it's very difficult to find assets that are liquid, and transparent that have no market directional bias and can be traded in a cash efficient way. And here's a key point, and try to capture divergence in the market rather than convergence. So most strategies either try to earn a return with beta, or some people would say even smart beta, or with convergence trading strategies. So if you think about typical hedge funds like long short equity or merger arb or convert arb or whatever, they're trying to capture the market coming back to a quote-unquote normal state. So to find an asset that actually makes money as the markets diverge or as trends expand and do it without taking on credit or liquidity risk, that's a critical asset in any portfolio mix. Hence, the academics always reach the same conclusion. Your portfolio ought to have managed futures. Our mandate is to provide that in the best possible way for the institutional investor. I mean, it's so incredible what's happening with the market. I don't think anyone <laughs> quite knows. And investors kind of staying in the equities and not really diversifying as much as they should and not looking at other asset classes or avenues. I think it's a disservice, personally. I see chinks in that. People are looking in other directions now. And people are very concerned, not just about the future return expectation in the equity markets, because you know you can't sustain these kind of returns forever. Uh, we jokingly call the S&P the new risk-free asset, but we know that's not true. But they're also getting very, very concerned about the impact of inflation, the potential for rising interest rates, 
And if your portfolio is primarily stocks and bonds, you are very interested in diversifying assets. And we're having a lot more conversations today than we did a year or two ago. That's great. When you think about the span of, of efficient capital, having done this for so long, what are you excited about? Well, managed futures is not for the faint of heart. I mean, you talk about the number of years I've done this. I would say the managed futures industry has died three or four times in my career. And it hits these periods where it struggles to make money. It does not implode like many other financial strategies and certainly doesn't have the drawdown of equities. But nevertheless, you tire of a synthetic long gamma kind of portfolio. But then it has its resurgence. When does the resurgence come? When there's macroeconomic changes in the marketplace, when things really do need to move from A to B. And it's pretty hard to believe right now as we look at the world that there won't be any macro changes in the next few years. There's just too much happening. I only mentioned inflation, but we could talk about a half a dozen variables, all of which are significant right at this moment in time. Of those things, you said it died a couple times over. What caused the catalyst for it to come back? Returns. <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> people are inappropriately short-term return driven. And the mantra, buy low and sell high, actually from an investor world works backwards. When there are big returns, people buy. And when it goes through a, a difficult period, people sell. But the reality is in the managed future space, it's not a short-term asset, even though it's completely liquid and all our products have daily liquidity. But I mean, even though that's true, it's really a portfolio holding, a long-term asset. And in my view, a person should have exposure no matter when they get started. But the absolute best time to get started is when the industry has been struggling. Exactly. <laughs> Buy low, sell high. Right. One of the questions that I think about, it's really interesting. I went to dinner with a small group of people, senior co-founders of big firms. And this was a couple of years ago. And they said, what inflation? And I looked at them and I said, have you ever bought milk or bread? <laughs> Obviously, these are people who don't buy milk and bread. And so I've been talking about inflation for years. What, I don't want to say keeps you up at night, but what is it that you're thinking about? Yeah, you know, our life is uh, kind of backwards because Stuff that's really bad for most everybody is actually good for efficient capital. And I'm not happy about that, but I'm happy to fill that gap. But I'm stunned, honestly stunned, at how little of the average person understands fundamental economics. And this idea that the government can just keep printing literally trillions of dollars and banks around the world can continue to provide money to the governments and so on. There's an economic reality. And at the end of the day, the dollar or the pound or the yen or the euro, they become less valuable. That's really inflation. It's not that things have gone up in price, but the currency itself has gone down in price. And the insidious nature of inflation is that for all of the talk about taxing the rich and helping the middle class, this is a massive middle-class tax. I mean, when prices go up, they go up for everybody. You know, we can talk about what we think is fiscal responsibility, but the reality is uh, with the money that's being printed, it can't help but devalue the dollar. And I believe that we are already seeing that today. 
I mean, the house prices that I've noticed just in my neighborhood are crazy. But it's not just house prices. Just go to the grocery store. My wife said that she bought some spinach and the price hadn't changed at all, but the package was half as small. So, I mean, it's just it's just a reality. I'm getting my backyard done. And he said they did four price increases in the year. Yeah. It's yeah I have a friend who's building a house right now. And they tacked, They said, we're sorry, but it's another 40 grand because of the price of the materials. It's incredible. Incredible. All right. Should I ask you, Ernest, this question about your superpower and why? What do you think? <laughs> well, I, I don't believe I have any superpower. I do believe there are some things that I do well. I'm reasonably good at taking complex concepts, like options, for example. And bringing them down to a, a more understandable or simple level. And I am pretty good at focusing. We talked about the fact that we're purely focused on the area of managed futures. But it's that same focus that leads to a discipline and portfolio construction, a discipline in portfolio management, a discipline in risk management. Do what you do. Do it consistently without variability. So I think those aspects combine to a commitment to our core values. I mean, I think every company has core values, right? I mean, you can find it on every website, but we really seriously try to run every decision we make through our core values. And that has to do with serving people well. It has to do with continuously seeking to improve. It has to do with leading our individual lives and our corporate lives with character. And so I think those things in combination are powerful. Extremely. Well, thank you, Ernest. It was such a pleasure. We love hearing about your journey and we'd love to have you back and talk more about the firm and managed futures. Oh, it's fun. You just let me know. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Prime Alpha's Visionaries and Innovators podcasts. As always, you can head over to primealpha.com to sign up to our email list, as well as check out our other podcasts. See you next time. Thank you.